Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And what we have to do is start with listening to understand. And so when you ask clarifying questions, the people were restricted from agreeing, disagreeing, presenting another idea. All they could do is ask questions to understand the presenter. Welcome to Change Your Mindset podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Today, my guest is Rod Collins, who's a returning guest. Rod's initial episode was released on February 14th, 2022. And the topic of conversation was the benefits of flat organizational structures. Once we finished recording and during the debrief, I asked Rod if he would come back as a guest and share his experiences in working in this type of corporate structure. Now, our discussion in this episode focuses on the strengths of running a collective intelligence workshop when you're trying to solve problems or coming up with new ideas. If you have not listened to the earlier recording, I highly suggest giving it a listen and then following up with this episode. So a little bit about Rod again. Rod is a leading expert on digital transformation and the future of business. He is the host of the Thinking Differently podcast on the C-Suite Radio Network, where he explores how technological innovations continue to transform the rules of how successful businesses work. Rod is a regular blog contributor on Substack and the author of Wiki Management, a revolutionary new model for a rapidly changing and collaborative world, which highlights the innovative tools and practices used by a new breed of business leaders to sustain extraordinary performance in a world reshaped by digital disruption. Rod is the former chief operating executive of Blue Cross Blue Shield Federal Employee Program, one of the nation's largest and most successful business alliances. Under his leadership, the business experienced the greatest five-year growth period in its 60-year history. Now, before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. 
of script. Master of the Art of Business Improv is available for purchase on Amazon in paperback and in Kindle. If you'd like to learn more about the book or better yet, order a copy, go to offscriptimprov.com and order a copy just by clicking the click to order button. If you'd like to buy 10 or more books, please contact me so I can offer you a bulk discount. You can reach me through my email at peter at petermargaritas.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast and share this podcast episode with a friend. I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a review of this show wherever you download your podcast from. Also, please visit my newly rebranded YouTube channel, Peter A. Margaritas, CSP, CPA, Biz Improv Virtuoso, where you can see previous podcast video episodes along with this one. And while you're there, just hit the subscribe button so you won't miss any updates. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders. A story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in-person and on-site at your location, or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Now, let's get to the interview with Rod Collins. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, my guest is Mr. Rod Collins. And if you remember, in a previous episode, he was talking about self-managed corporate structures, otherwise known as kind of flat organizations. And when we finished, I asked him if he would come back and talk about his actual experiences in these types of organizations. So he's back. And Rod, thank you very much for uh, coming back to the podcast and and sharing your knowledge, because this has been a fascinating topic, topic for my audience. Thank you, Peter. It's, it's great to be with you again. And I'm delighted to be here. So one thing I kept hearing from my audience was, how do you do this? How do you have this team, this group, this collaboration? And, a, and a, you know, I want to input, I want to plant some of that into my organization, except we're in a highly regulated industry. I have a CEO, he or she makes decisions, sets vision, so on and so forth. So how do you blend the two? All right. So let me, in our last discussion, we focused mainly on customers, I'm sorry, on companies that are fully self-managed. But um, I have some experience in this, but in the context of a traditional organization. In a past life, I was the chief uh, executive of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Federal Employee Program which is a business alliance of the then 39 Blue Cross Blue Shield plans that they were distributed across the country. 
uh, to deliver a seamless product, which is health insurance to federal employees. And this was a significant business. Um, when I left it, it was a $19 billion enterprise. Uh, somewhere in the mid 90s, uh, after serving as the program's general auditor for uh, probably about 15 years, I was moved over the operations and asked to, uh, uh, to help us to improve our enrollment and to improve our performance. And the first insight that I had in, in, in tackling this was, you know, we're not a hierarchy, we're a network. These are 39 separate companies, they're distributed all over the country. And maybe the obstacles to our, our uh, performance is the fact we're leading as a network. So uh, we recognize that there isn't any literature out there about how to lead a network. And so we had to do some pathfinding on our own. And so what I think might be helpful for the audience is to describe some of the things we did on a day-to-day -day basis that brought the concepts of a, uh, of a network into a traditional organization in a way that met one, regulatory compliance, and two, gave comfort to the decision makers uh, at the top of the organization. Okay. And so um, the, the, big, uh, the big protocol, if you will, uh, that we discovered is we came up with a meeting format, which was called the Collective Intelligence Workshop. And I, let's spend some time on that because I think this describes what the mechanics look like if you want to bring network architecture into a traditional organization in a way that works. And that was the challenge that we had. And so a Collective Intelligence Workshop gets a microcosm of a business in the room. And so, and it usually takes about 40 to 50 people to do that. And what you wanna do is you want everybody who would touch your project, your process, your initiative in that room. And most organizations don't meet in this type of way. And so uh, in the same meeting, you're going to have top executives and you might have the person you hired out of college two weeks ago. You're gonna have all departments represented. You're going to have staff functions there. You mentioned regulatory. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do you assure regulatory compliance? You want to make sure the lawyers are in the room, okay, uh, who have responsibility for that and any other compliance function, uh, be it auditing or perhaps finance and accounting, they're in the room. And you want all the people who are going to have to deliver, those people who are going to, you know, you want marketing in the room if you're working on a product. So you want to look across the room, have the whole system in the room. And what we would do in these meetings is we would open it up with some form of a presentation, either by an expert or a person responsible for a particular strategic project. And they would give a 20-minute presentation. And then there would be 10 minutes for clarifying questions only. And here's where the meaning gets very different. In most meetings and organizations, we're debating. We're arguing ideas. And the theory is whichever idea survives the argument must be the best idea. Well, we put that aside and said, no, we think there's a better way to get to better ideas. And what we have to do is start with listening to understand. And so when you ask clarifying questions, the people were restricted from agreeing, disagreeing, presenting another idea, all they could do is ask questions to understand the presenter. Then we would put people into small group exercises. 
And we would ask them, what are the three to five most important observations, opinions, or concerns that you have around our topic today, the, uh, the focus of the workshop? And uh, usually there'd be about maybe uh, five, six tables in the room. And you give them maybe 30, 45 minutes to discuss this. And then at the end of the sessions, each table reports out. And you, you are enriching your ideas because when the tables report out, you don't know who are the individual personalities behind the ideas. You just know it's an idea from table one, table two, table three. You don't know if it's the VP's idea or that person you hired who came out of college two weeks ago, all right? And you wanna depoliticize ideas because as a, as a decision maker in the rapidly changing world, you don't care whose idea it was. You want the best idea. And so this helps to move this along. As each of the tables present out, you have another period of clarifying questions only. Again, no agreements, no disagreements, no, uh, I have a better idea. And so the initial, uh, the first morning of these workshops is really just focus around understanding, get a comprehensive understanding. Then what we would do from there is so each of the groups has prepared a flip chart. It's three to five ideas. And we would be very clear, no more than five, because it's important to drive focus, which is also very important to decision makers. So we put these flip charts. If we had six tables, we've got 30 ideas on the wall. And then what we would do is ask them to gather around that wall and ask them to point out two items that look the same. We talk about them. If they are the same, we keep one, discard the other. If they're different, we would refine the language so that we could clearly see these were two different ideas. And we put a big box around them. Now, this is a very important dynamic because uh, most organizations process human information very, very poorly. When you're in the deb debate mode and you're in conversation, your stance is, how is my idea better than yours? Yeah. And when I'm convinced my idea is better than yours, I don't listen to your idea, okay? I listen to respond. I'm too invested in my idea. Right. When you change the conversation to how, to how are two ideas different from each other, everybody has to visit the idea to understand the differences. So over the course, it sometimes takes 90 minutes, sometimes two hours to do this part of the exercise. What has happened is everybody has visited with every idea on the flip chart, again, you're driving understanding. Mm -hmm. Now that you've done that, we're ready to begin to move to the next phase of the workshop, which is to process the important work. So we've drawn these boxes around all the ideas we've kept. I give people four dots. I say, vote them any way that you want. They can put four dots on an item if they really have a lot of passion, or they can spread them around. And I do that because if there are a couple of people who are passionate about an idea, they can put their four dots there and allows minority opinions to come forward. Uh, uh, after this, we'll take a break. I'll count up the items and it's invariable. There's always the top four. And what I mean is the votes might be something like 29, 28, 26, 25, 13. So there's this break point between 25 and 13 votes and you look and say, it's four items. When the group comes back, I'll look at them and say, if we focus on these four items, are these the right places for us to do our work? And uh, invariably they will say yes. And invariably you'll look across that list and you'll realize one item was important to one political faction, 
Another apparently opposite item was important to another faction and items three and four are the glue that makes the whole set work together when all four are, are handled as one. And this is important because, and this was surprising to us when we first did this, because we never expected unanimous consensus among 50 people. Right. And in all the years I've done this, and I've done this now for over 20 years, I have yet to have a group that hasn't received, reached a unanimous consensus on the work that they did. So when this happened, and, and where we go from here is, and then I'm going to reflect on what's the, what's the dynamics behind this and what's the import for managers. Now that you've got those four items, now this is where the group begins to do its work. Now we're going to open it up to agreements and disagreements, all right, because we've identified the right things and we want that creative energy. And but here's what we do. We, let's say we had these four items. I'll have people self-select which ones they want to discuss. We can do work on the four items concurrently as they report out. Uh, the whole group can check in on what they've heard from the table and you get the whole room responding. Now, the power of this comes in as a group is suggesting what are the What's, what's the key work we need to do to move one of these four items forward? Uh, many times as it's being presented, you'll have somebody among those 50 people jump up and go, wait a minute, you can't do what you're thinking. And people will go, why? Because it affects me. And people will go, really? I, we didn't know that. And then they'll explain you know, they'll explain, you know, the person jumping up will explain what's important to them. And we realize, oh, if we're going to solve this, we need to factor this element in as well. And so what you're doing is you are uncovering unknown unknowns that always mess up projects when you work in a pure functional structure by having the whole system in the room and you can solve it rapidly. Yeah. And as the discussion goes on, somebody else may jump up and say, wait a minute, you have to take this into account. By having the whole system in the room, you get these things handled in real time, very rapidly, very quickly. Okay. That was, I think that was a factor that helped to drive unanimous consensus. Because if anybody had a point of view that needed to be represented in a solution, it was, it was quickly presented, quickly handled, all voices were honored. And uh, the rest of the workshop will be further refinements around the specifics that need to be done. Now, what I found when I used this in Blue Cross Blue Shield, and uh, again, every time I opened up one of these sessions, I clearly said we're processing ideas, we're not making decisions. The decisions belong with senior leadership or with the board. But my experience in the 10 years I used this when I was with Blue Cross Blue Shield, every time I brought the results from one of these workshops about uh, to our board to get their permission for resources or to get their permission to move perhaps in a particular product direction or to improve a particular process. Uh, initially, I was a little bit nervous because these, these sessions were very creative and, and some of the ideas were really out of the box. <laughs> and I was wondering how that would translate to, uh, you know, to board members or the leaders who, who weren't in the room. And so we would do a lot of preparation in advance of, of presenting these ideas forward. But I came to realize over time, I really didn't need to do that because by having the whole system in the room, by having the opportunity for different perspectives to, to recognize quickly, you need to take this into account. 
When we presented their final work to the board for decision-making, I would hear this a lot. Wow, this is really a radically different approach and it's really well thought out. And they would go along and, and, and along with it. But I, you know, we would hear both. Oh, this is very different than we expected, but it's really well thought out. And what these sessions did, and I think this is the value of a network and, and, and the importance of getting a whole system in the room and adapting this type of a discipline is you wind up getting the best possible solution you could come up with. One of the problems with debates is they tend to produce compromises which are least common denominator solutions. They're right. not the best we can do, but they'll be good enough. Well, I think in these fast changing times, good enough isn't always good enough. You really need to have a process for optimal solutions. Now, some of the network dynamics here, what these collective intelligence workshops were, is we gathered the network in the room that would be affected by this. So let's say, for example, they're working on an item that has regulatory impact, all right? Well, you know, and the lawyers in the room, they're going to bring up their concerns, but we didn't immediately do what the lawyer wanted because lawyers are very risk adverse. Okay. And managers have to have a little bit more risk tolerance. But if a lawyer brought up a particular item and it's like, wow, this could be an obstacle to what we could do. I could turn to the group, say, stay at your tables. You've heard the lawyer's concern. You know what the business people want to do. Your next exercise at your table is come up with a solution that will meet both sets of needs. And more often than not, we would come up with it. And at the end of it, I could turn to the business people and say, is this going to work for you? And they'd say, yes. And I turned to the lawyer and say, is this going to work for you? He would say, yes. So what it does is now you've turned uh, legal in this, I'll use them as an example. It could be auditing, it could be you know, finance or accounting. But what we're doing is we're taking that dynamic of what can't be done and transforming it into what can be done, all right? And that's what business people wanna do. You always wanna remain legal. You have to comply with regulations, but doing that doesn't mean that you can't stretch your creativity and still be in compliance with regulations. This is the power of a network. Okay, as we begin to wrap up, the one big question I, I love, by the way, I, I'm, I'm a student. I mean, I'm, not, I'm just over here soaking all this stuff in, right? This is, this is good stuff. Yeah. But, but the one big question that pops in my mind is the first time you try to, to do this, this type of uh, collective gathering of, of, of ideas, I have to believe there's got to be some pre-work or, or something out there to say, these, these are the rules. The, the, we're not here to, you know, poo-poo ideas. We're here to come up with ideas. Right. You know, devil's advocate, stay away. And how do you get everybody on that same, especially in that first meeting, to get everybody to play well in the sandbox? Uh, there's about a 15-minute orientation at the beginning of the session, because for most, they've never been in a, in a session like this. Tip, companies typically don't get the whole system in the room. Right. And, and in rapidly changing times, that's your key to speed and your key to adaptability. And so I, I go through a thorough orientation. Uh, I will tell you, for example, I will explain to them the clarifying question discipline. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll give them a warning. I'll say, if you don't ask a clarifying question, I will interrupt and I will not let you ask your question. And I don't want you to be surprised when I do that. Okay. And, you know, and if somebody tries, I do interrupt them. 
Now, uh, from I know there are a lot of leaders who are listening to this. I was the chief executive of this program, and I was the one person who never expressed their point of view in these sessions. Because I knew if I did, people would say, ah, that's what we're going to do. Let's just get on board. My role was to cull out their collective intelligence. And my experience was their collective intelligence was always better than what I would come up with, or quite frankly, what any one person would come up with. And oftentimes, and this is the power of a network. The most common observation we heard on the evaluations was no one of us could ever come up with what we've come up with here as a, as a group. That's the power of a network, the power of the whole system. The second most common comment was, I cannot believe how much work we did in so short a period of time. When you uncover the unknown unknowns, which was what this does at the beginning of a project, you increase the likelihood it will come in on time and on budget because you are eliminating the rework that happens when people are unaware of how something they worked on affects another area. So this is one example of how a company, traditional company can use network thinking within their organization. And then when people see this, they can begin to apply this in their, in their team behavior. I knew we were changing the culture when I would just sit in on regular meetings and somebody would say, I want to ask a clarifying question. <laughs> and I knew we had changed the debating discipline because over time people experience, I feel better when I ask clarifying questions. People really don't like to fight. They'd rather build. Rod, this has been a fascinating discussion. And I guess my quote that I used in the last episode, the collective knowledge outside of your office far exceeds the collective knowledge inside of your office is demonstrated through this type of network. So how can people, I mean, I, I hope people listen to this episode and I hope they contact you. How can they find you so you can come in and help them see the light? Well, since the last time we talked, I've set up a website uh, and it's rodcollins.net and it has links to all my content and uh, 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 people can reach me at rodcollins.cls at outlook.com. Rod, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Someday, hopefully soon, we'll be in the same room together without a screen. You and I can go sit in the corner. Pour, so I'll pour a coffee. You can have some water. Uh, <laughs> this man has never had coffee before. Had one sip in his life. I can't believe that's right. it. That's, that's, a, that's another story. And, and just talk about this stuff because man, this is improv leadership. This is stuff that it's just worded in such a different way. But this is what helps organizations solve problems quicker than ever before. Yeah. And, and I can't thank you enough for sharing your knowledge. And I look forward to the day that we get to sip some coffee. I get coffee, you get water. I look forward to that. Peter, good to be with you again. I want to thank Rod for sharing his experiences and walking us through a collective intelligence workshop. I absolutely love this concept and can't wait to facilitate a similar type of workshop for one of my clients. Remember, there are people who prefer to say yes, and there are people who prefer to say no. Those who say yes are rewarded by the adventures they have, and those who say no are rewarded by the safety they obtain. Be a yes person. Thank you, and be safe.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.